Thanks, Kira. Good evening, everyone. Nice to see you all. I think I had my sort of official commissioning about a week ago, um, and I'm back here already, so it's lovely to be back. Um, There has never been anyone in the history of the world quite like Jesus. There's never been anyone as controversial, as opinion-splitting, as family-dividing, best-selling, talked about and misrepresented, the list goes on, than Jesus. And this series that you guys are in, um, I've not been around for much of it, it's called Masterclass. And on one level, we can all learn so much from Jesus You know, without a great deal of competition, I think safe to say the greatest teacher that's ever lived. We can learn how to be more generous, a bit more good, a bit nicer, a bit more peaceful. And our lives could probably be considerably transformed, improved, just by learning a few things from Jesus. But pretty sure that wasn't the response that Jesus was looking for when he stepped into the mess of history. So sure, it's a masterclass in life, but let's not stop there. You know, if we do, you're thinking it's kind of like going out for a meal and you get that big basket with the bread and you just think, oh, amazing, I love bread. And it's like your favorite bread, whatever that is. I love the Tesco stuff with the cheese in it. But you wouldn't get that at a restaurant, but I'm just saying that's my favorite. And you're just like, oh, this is the most incredible bread. And you just get stuck in and you just think, right, I'm going to go home now. (laughs) I'm satisfied. When actually there's a feast for us that is waiting. There's more to Jesus than just his teaching and his example in him is life itself. So think about this for a second. When you choose your friends, what do you look for? What do you look for when you choose your friends? Do you look for loads of money? Maybe not. Successful career? That'd be a bit weird. It's never really the main thing, is it? Nobody wants a mate who just knows all the right answers, but isn't prepared to get stuck in and involved in the mess that life brings, do they? You know, we've all had those friends who say, well... Obviously, if you hadn't done this in the first place, then we wouldn't be in this mess, would we? Thanks. Yeah, cheers. We look for compassion in the relationships and the friendships that we have. We want friends to actually visit us when we're in hospital, friends that will sit with us when we don't have the answers, friends who try to understand. When we choose our leaders, our politicians, for example, in our democracy here in the UK... Generally speaking, I think we want to choose leaders with a mix of gifts. We want a healthy balance of good, wise, level-headed decision-making. We want them to know something about the economy, the rule of law, and maybe a healthy dose of compassion as well. Not so far removed that they can't understand what the people they lead are going through. I've got a quote behind me um, from Nelson Mandela that says... Our compassion binds us one to the other, not in pity or patronizingly, but as human beings who have learnt how to turn our common suffering into hope for the future. Wow. Pretty helpful definition of compassion from Mr. Mandela. Not pity, not patronizing, but binding one human to another 
into hope for the future. And just in the interest of balance, um, I'm not being biased towards deceased South African leaders tonight. I also did a search for um, Donald Trump quotes on compassion. Last night, late night, Google search. And um, this is what I found behind me. I mean, part of the beauty of me is that I'm very rich. So thanks for that, Donald. Always good to hear from you. Um, But I think we'll stick with Mandela and we'll stick with Jesus for tonight. That's literally what I found when I googled Donald Trump compassion. Um, There is a financial deficit in our nation and other nations that our leaders working somehow to tackle. But there's also a compassion deficit with which they cannot fix. They can't shoulder it for us. Compassion is a huge theme for the way that we live today, especially, I think, for people like me in 20s and 30s, kind of half-joking, half-crying. Let's be honest, guys, we're never going to own a big mansion. Our pension's gone down the plug hole. So we might as well make the most of the lives that we have before us. When was the last time that you were moved by compassion? I'm going to read... From Matthew chapter 20, from verse 29, it's going to be behind me as well. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to open it up there. Which says, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, which I have got to do now. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and followed him. Jesus was at the high point of his ministry and to some extent his celebrity at this stage. There were large crowds following him around. But he is stopped in his tracks by two blind men who shout at him. And notice already that Jesus' ears were somehow clearly tuned in to the cries of those who were really desperate those who really demanded an encounter with him. He'd made it pretty clear by this point in his ministry that he wasn't doing what he was doing for widespread acclaim. He wasn't doing it for the notoriety or the Facebook friends or the adulation. He'd come to proclaim that his kingdom had arrived, that he was shaking things up and that also he was going to walk in the opposite spirit, a completely different direction than the leaders of his time in the church. And so he enters into this situation, and it can't have been easy for him, and it's it's even harder for us to actually listen out for the voice of the marginalized and the forgotten. It's hard. The voices of the idols around us will beckon us loudly and louder. Come and follow me. They will shout at us. 
Come and live a life of comfort. Come and focus on just getting more and more stuff. Come and build your own profile. And when we listen to those voices first, the voices of the blind men will get drowned out very quickly and very easily. But not with Jesus. Son of David, they shout, have mercy on us. And they called him by a name that others wouldn't dare to use. Jesus had come to re-establish the rule and the reign of God in the world. In the way that many had hoped a previous king called David would. Somehow, these two nobodies had sussed out that the king was returning. And that that was him in their midst. Jesus of Nazareth. The only one who could have mercy on them. The only one who could heal them fully. And when you're a first century blind beggar, I'm pretty sure that you're not so much preoccupied about the forgiveness of your sins and where you're going to go, where you die. You're just right in there, in that moment, in the here and now, and you're thinking, I just want to see something. I just want to somehow escape from the hellish life that I am living right now. Where I'm treated as an invalid every day, where society has cast us out and just left us to die. Jesus, son of David, would you have mercy on us? Isn't it brilliant that it's a tiny minority of a group who get what's really going on? Isn't that just so classic, Jesus? (laughs) Revealing himself to the have-nots. The blind, homeless guys turn out to be the real theologians. And here's the tip for today. Jesus said in a different sermon that the poor are the ones who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. So if we are completely disconnected from those who find themselves on the outside, maybe we might be a bit further away from Jesus than we'd like. And before we go any further into this text, I think it's important to pause just for a moment before these stories go and inspire you to go and change the world and go and act upon what you've heard, which I hope they will do. Let's notice two very simple things from the text here. The beggars didn't ask Jesus, Jesus, show us how to change the world. They just said, we want our sight. We want our sight. And so a question for all of us here this evening, have we experienced the healing of God? Have you experienced the healing of God in your life? Have you ever even asked for it? Have you recognized the need for it? Have you ever admitted to God, my heart is beaten, my heart is bruised, and I need your healing to completely change me Because I've got nothing left. Have you ever let Jesus completely transform the way that you see the world? Verse 34 says that Jesus had compassion on them. Jesus had compassion on them. And those five words really get to me every time I read them. They kind of stick out. It's like perhaps there's more to this story than just two men 2,000 years ago having a healing miracle. We all want to know what God is like, don't we? 
Maybe that's why you're here tonight. Maybe that's the question that you've been asking the whole of your life. What is God like? If he is there, who is he? There aren't many bigger questions out there. But what if in this five words, Jesus had compassion on them? Freeze frame, we can actually peer into the very nature of God. Compassionate. Moved by what happens in the world that he loves. What if God was moved with compassion for every single person that he sees? For every single situation that he encounters? What if compassion is one of the core elements of the nature of the God we are here to find out about? Elsewhere in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 36 says... But when he, when Jesus saw the multitudes of people, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. So for us, trying to be compassionate, trying to be good without ever having experienced the transformative compassion of Jesus is futile. It won't work. Trying to share what we've never received is the worst type of imitation. We'll get exhausted within no time. We'll burn out. We'll be idea-driven, not driven by our hearts and what we've received. There is a deep well in the Christian life that we are all invited to drink from. A well of God's love where mercy flows from, where forgiveness is the currency that we operate with. And you might have called yourself a Christian for decades, or you might have just stumbled across church today. If you've never known the healing of God, he is here today. And he wants to transform your life, all of our lives. Verse 32, Jesus says really clearly, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus still experiences compassion for all of us here, for our world, for our city. The question has never changed, actually, and the power has never diminished for him to break through even the darkest night that you're going through or the strongest change that you feel stuck in. I had the privilege of spending a couple of weeks in India um, earlier this month. Um, One of the places that we visited was a small 10-bed hospital called Shalom, meaning wholeness and peace, as many of you know. Shalom was set up by a few people about 15 years ago, basically to give palliative care to those with HIV. And we had a chance to spend the day with an incredibly inspiring lady called Savita, the lady that runs Shalom. She's hugely overqualified for the job. She's one of those people where you just like, I just want to quit everything and just follow you around the world because you're just amazing. She abandoned this big city career that she had as a doctor um, to care for those dying of what is still here and there, a highly stigmatized virus. Apparently, it's the only free access hospital completely dedicated to HIV treatment in the whole of Delhi, which is like, what, really? There's 26 million people that live in Delhi. There's tens upon tens of thousands who have HIV. And as the government in India 
tries to tackle all sorts of different problems and epidemics and different challenges, it's easy for people over there to think that HIV is something that they kind of they have in hand and that they can move on from. When that's not true, <laughs> that isn't true. That's not the reality of the situation. And I had the opportunity to ask some of the staff, what motivates you to do this? You could be elsewhere, you could be doing other things. And they kind of stared me down and and whispered in a hushed tone as if they were about to reveal to me the secret of the universe. And they didn't want to let it go cheaply. And Savita replied to us all saying, everyone is made in the image of God. God cares furiously about every person he has made. And you're kind of like, well, yes, of course, right, yeah, thank you, yeah. They deal with a lot of transgender people or third gender, as they're called in in India, people who often don't get the time of day from the authorities. People who have been outcast in their society and outcast further. Savita said again, everyone is made in the image of God. God cares furiously about every person he has made. And she said, we just want to share that love with our new friends. And what what they do there is incredible. But it isn't popular. It isn't the in thing (laughs) to be a dedicated HIV palliative care hospital in Delhi at the moment. Savita said that funding has dried up and they are really struggling sometimes. She said, actually, if we wanted in a month or two to change our focus, we could attract funding from all around the world. But then she said this. She said, what we're learning here as a tiny 10-bed hospital in the outskirts of Delhi is that to really serve the marginalized, sometimes you have to become marginalized yourself. So compassion, the root meaning of the word compassion is to suffer with. Not just to think of or to send warm thoughts towards or to even send money to, to suffer with. Who is it that you've been called to suffer with? Maybe that's a bit intense for a Sunday night. Maybe it's just, who do you care about? Who do you really, 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 really care about? What do you care about? And what do you think you've been maybe called to do about it? What's your part to play in the world? There are people in this church, people in this city, who are following Jesus into the strangest and most brilliant and weird and terrifying situations because of the compassion of God that has been placed in them. You know, I could list off all manner of different missional communities that we have here in this church, different expressions of church in this city, students who look to seek justice in the places that they study, other groups that just want to make friends with those people who are new to this city or lonely in this city. But that's them. (laughs) So where is the compassion of God going to move you? What journey has Jesus got you on? Any time we discover 
something new about what God is like. We might call it a revelation or an unveiling. It is that, but it's also an invitation towards our own transformation. Personally, yes, but also for our communities. This is what God is like, and he invites you. He says, come and follow me, and you'll become more like me every day. I will lead you on adventures that you never thought you'd go on. It will not be easy, but Jesus put a name to it. He called it life to the full. Jesus gave a master class on life to the full, on total freedom as he walked in his identity as a son, even to the point of becoming outcast, cursed, hanging on a tree. And I hope I haven't given the impression um, that it's only Christians who can be compassionate. We do not have, I suppose, a monopoly on compassion on this world. That wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't be true. There are some incredible atheists out there who are serving the world in remarkable ways. There are people of all faiths and all ideologies who are moved by compassion every day. There are also some Christians who are doing absolutely nothing. (laughs) But that's another sermon. And I'm sure everybody in this room is regularly moved with compassion. You know, maybe it's just a little spark that you feel when you walk past that homeless person in the street. Maybe it's the place that you know about on the other side of the world, or maybe it's the plight of the people who are going through some of the hard stuff that you are walking through yourself or have walked through. And what I want to suggest to us today is that the compassion thing that we feel kind of for me it's always kind of just in my gut a little bit where I'm like I have to do something about that the pain sometimes that we feel on other people's behalf some of us get that you're like that's got nothing to do with me but I experience a little bit of what they are going through the thing that moves us and calls us to action I want to suggest to you that that is the image of God in us That is what God is like. He's moved by compassion and that is the reason that we are. To be passionate about justice is to be something like Jesus. That it's the blueprint of God emerging in your life. And you don't have to agree with me on that. I'm just suggesting that to you. You know, maybe you don't have a faith. Maybe you're involved in all sorts of mercy work. Maybe you've got friends who are, whose lives are driven completely by this relentless compassion. And maybe you need to know that there's a God who loves you and loves the way that you tirelessly work to serve others. And actually you're reflecting him every day that you live. Maybe there's somebody that you need to share that with. Back to this story. The two beggars cried out to Jesus, and this large crowd silenced them. They rebuked the homeless men and told them to be quiet. And there will always be people who will try and drown out the connection that you have with Jesus. And often it is, sadly, the most pious and the most religious people that do that. They think, how can they just connect with Jesus? 
I've worked for this. I have earned this. And if only it was that simple. You know, it's that older brother thing that we know from the story of the son who returned to his father. You know, people think, if I've not figured this out, then I'm not letting you anywhere near Jesus either. But verse 31 says, the men shouted all the louder. And if God has given us a voice, a passion, a drive, a compassion for the people around us, that is awesome. So when people try to suppress that voice in you, shout louder. Stay true to the image of God and be part of whatever it is that he has made you passionate about. Whether that is the Battersea Dogs Home, whether that is cleaning up local beaches, whether that is trying to end global hunger, go and do it. Shout louder. What is your complaint with the way that the world is around you? We've got to make some noise. Empathy is great. Empathy is such a positive thing. Empathy is a starting point. The danger of empathy is that without action, it can get a little self-indulgent. That it's about what we feel about all these different situations. But Jesus had compassion on them and he touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and they followed him. But Jesus was moved and he did something about it. He actually did something about it. And they followed him. If you need a touch from God, if you've been waiting for ages on the outside, trying to make your voice heard that he'll listen to you, tonight he does listen to you, he does hear you, he does drop everything else. He is the good shepherd that leaves the 99 to go and look for the one. You know, it's one thing having a moment and feeling inspired. It's another thing having the character to see it through. It's another thing having the community to help you see it through and to persevere through the tough times. And that's why it takes more than just a moment that you feel in your gut to change the world around you. But sometimes that's where it starts. That's where it starts. So what has God put on your heart? Who are the people? Where are the places that he's called you? Luke chapter 19, verse verse 41 says, As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus' whole ministry was driven by compassion for those around him. It wasn't just on a couple of days, a couple of times where he just felt particularly compassionate. That was him. That was the reason that Jesus was around, that God so loved the world that he commissioned his son to be active and not passive. As he saw the city, he wept. And you kind of think, that isn't what real kings do, is it? You know, son of David, the most important throne in the history of Israel, surely he was going to be the one that triumphed in battle, the one that raised up an army, the one that called up the artillery and took the city, not just watched it and cried. Useless, isn't it? 
He wept over the state of the temple. He wept over the state of his people. And he resolved to do something about what he saw, what he observed, what he felt. He resolved to forgive the world of their sin. He resolved to disarm the powers and the principalities of the world by surrendering his life on a cross. And Jesus became marginalized himself so that the lost could find their intended purpose. So that people who had no direction could walk with God. People who had no purpose could speak with their Heavenly Father and get involved in the plans of their God. Isn't that amazing? That is the God that we worship. Became marginalized himself so that those who were on the outside would be welcomed in to the feast of what it is to know Jesus. The passion of the Christ, the compassion of Jesus, changed everything and continues to transform lives. And how is it going to impact ours? So I want to just take some time to pray. A lot of this stuff is pretty deep, it's pretty personal, pretty heavy sometimes. A lot of us walk with the guilt sometimes of feeling like we know what we've been called to, but we're heading in this direction, and that's hard. It says in the scripture that there is no condemnation for those who walk in the footsteps of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit's here, and he wants to move among us. He wants to remind us of callings that he's given us before. He wants to place in our hearts a new vision sometimes for our lives. He wants to speak to us about what it is that he saved us for. He hasn't just saved us for us to come to church and wait for heaven. He's he's saved us so that we can rediscover our vocation as the people of God. To step into his kingdom and to step out in courage and in faith. So the band can come up and... But maybe we can just stand together if, if you're able to do that. And this time is about us. This time is about being really raw and open and honest with God. About being vulnerable with the one who knows us even better than our partners, our kids, our parents. And maybe you've come with somebody that you know really well and you just want to start praying for them. Um, Maybe you want to ask God if he's got um, pictures or words for this whole congregation. And if you feel like he has, then come and share it with Kira on my left. But let's just take some time just to listen to God for a second.
Jesus, in you there is compassion. Jesus, your heart breaks and your heart is led to minister to those who are broken, to those who've been forgotten by this world, for those who are mourning, for those who are suffering. And so God, we want to ask you for your heart tonight. Well, maybe I'm being presumptuous. If you want to, just now, why don't you ask God that he would give you his heart. That we would have an impartation of the compassion of Jesus in our lives. If you want to, just ask him now. It says in Ezekiel that I have replaced this heart of stone with a heart of flesh. So we're supposed to to feel things when we see them. It's the image of God in us. And we're supposed to to work with the kingdom power that God has placed in us to see the renewal of everything. Some people doing it already. Sometimes we just like to hold out our hands in front of us just as a a sign, a posture of openness and readiness. Lord, we pray tonight that you would heal some of our hearts. Sometimes that just happens in an instant. Sometimes it takes months and years. But Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. And would your healing fill this room? Would your goodness fill this place? Would it fill our hearts that we are led to be transformed? Where we've been carrying wounds for years and years, he is able to repair you. He is the God that binds up the brokenhearted and lifts the lonely from the ashes. He's the God of all comfort. And he's the God of victory as well. And faithfulness.